All righty. We need to get myself a new chair because this is insane. It's a really bad. It is so loud. You're also very fidgety. Fidgetman. I'm a yeah, I'm a bit of a mover and a groover. Like I can't I can't help that. Yeah. That's the sound of Ryan moving and grooving. Sweet. I wish I wish that like everything that I did, like certain choices, like if I made like a really good joke, it sounds like you just selected a character in Jet Said Radio. How would that go? And I'm like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. And then everyone's just like, ha ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> May I start this episode now, please? Yes, you it's can. Because it's the first of the year, first episode of the year, and I really want to do it properly. Okay. I don't want to mess it up. I mean, I'm keeping all of this stuff I in. I want to have a good time. Well, you're the one just taking up all of the time, so. Well, hello there. Welcome to On the Beat, the podcast that uncovers full frontal male nudity in cinema. My name is Laura, and I am joined by my co-host, Ryan. Oh my god, it's the future. We are always in uh, striving for the future, striving for the new year. I mean, what's the bigger ne- and better things? What's the next sci-fi movie that we're about to overtake? You know, because we already overtook Blade Runner. I thought Blade Runner was about to happen. I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was Los Angeles 2019. Wow. Oh. Yeah. So either way, I think it's already happened. Um, either way. Um, I don't know yes. what the next one is. I don't then I robot. That's cool. That, that I think me- those robots would be too expensive to actually own. Yes, they would also look like fucking shit. And Dress also, them up, put a little bit of lipstick on them. Well, the world would also be kind of. Well, I mean, it already is, but like it would also be full of like corporate sponsorship. You know what I mean? Like every every second shot in that movie is is a is a corporate piece of sponsorship. So. Wish we could get some corporate sponsorship. 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 Um, I would love some sponsorship. I love money as much as I th- I like to shit on iRobot for some of the things that it does. Um, I would have no issue selling myself out. Creatively. I would like to have enough money as Brian Slade in the 1998 <laughs> musical drama Velvet Goldmine. Was he rich? He was the top top of the pops. He was <laughs> top of the pop. <laughs> yeah. He was he was famous. I don't know if he had a lot of money. But yeah, we're doing velvet goldmine guys. With that Aren't amount of cocaine excited? on the table, baby, you gotta have a lot of money. It's the seventies. Everyone had a had a coffee table that was just covered in cocaine. Like a big bowl of cocaine. Exactly. I remember I was a... watching that documentary last night about the wrestlers and he had a big bowl of cocaine. Yeah, well, he would bring it out like it was a sugar bowl. Um, yeah. I remember a story from some friends in university, and uh, that very thing happened. They were hanging out with some, uh, I guess, some mutual friends, and there were some unsavory characters there, and there was a giant bowl of cocaine, if I remember. Yeah, Gino Hernandez, that was the wrestler who had oh, the big okay. bowl of cocaine. Of and course. And he died. I mean, he had three to five times the amount of cocaine in his body that should kill a person. Holy shit. Well, he was a wrestler. They are known for their... Uh, Party antics? Kind of. I remember reading a story once about sumo wrestlers and like how much booze they can put away. I don't know if I'm mixing that up with Andre the Giant. Like Andre but, the Giant, another but Andre, Andre the Giant could fucking drink you under the table. He really could. Yeah, of course. He was because he was... a. Big He's a boy. large, a large gentleman. He was a big man. So, um, this film, Velvet Goldmine, that we're talking about, yeah, really deep into the wrestling documentaries right now. Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm also very into Velvet Goldmine. Uh, this is a stacked, stacked film. This is a very popular film. I'm very excited about this film. It stars Ewan McGregor, Christian yeah. Bale, Jonathan Rhys Meyers, Tony Collette. Eddie Izzard's in this movie, along with I'm sure there's many, many other people. Um, yes. But these are the top, the top kids that are in this film, uh, directed by Todd Haynes. Yeah. Um, we got a new movie from Todd Haynes, which I have a bone to pick about, but that's okay. Let me give you the very long synopsis I pulled from Letterboxd. Oh, geez. And then we will we'll jump into Todd. Okay. Okay. <laughs> 
I'm going to catch my breath. Almost a decade has elapsed since Bowie-esque glamrock superstar Brian Slade escaped the spotlight of the London scene. Now, investigative journalist Arthur Stewart is on assignment to uncover the truth behind the enigmatic Slade. Stewart, himself forged by the music of the 1970s, explores the larger-than-life stars who were once his idols and what has become of them since the turn of the new decade. The tagline of this film doesn't make any sense to me. I think okay. as a teaser, which I makes have, sense. I have a couple of bones to pick about the synopsis. But oh, give, go on, go Give on. me the tagline first. All right. It makes sense as a teaser for a film, right? Because you want that. You want that tease. You want that mystery. So the tagline is, style matters, even when it comes to murder. What? <laughs> I know. What does that even mean? Um, nothing. Oh, because he's it like, means nothing. Because he's. Well, he's not murdered, and they already figure out that it was a hoax. Like, immediately. Almost immediately within the the confines of the film's story. Because then he goes into into hiding. Um, Right, so I have a couple of bones to pick about this synopsis. Why, like, if that's the official synopsis, which I'm assuming it isn't, why... You're assuming it isn't? I'm assuming it isn't, because why would you then cite the boy-esque antics of this character when obviously it's set in this kind of parallel world where bands like, you know, like Iggy Pop and the Stooges and David Bowie and T-Rex and Slade and stuff do not exist. As much as, like, in the film, their music is obviously used within the context of the film to give an idea of, like, the dating of the film as well. Right. Because Bob Dylan is is like his albums I saw in the record shop, and I was trying to figure out if there was any others. But like, these are like alternate versions of very popular acts from the seventies and obviously the sixties. Yes. So they're referencing like this boy-esque character, as if like, okay, this is the this is the easiest way in which we can reference this. But it's like boy doesn't exist in this universe. Correct. Because this Brian Slade character does, and he is basically just—he's just a boy. It like he is—he's a—he's a rip, a direct rip of of David Bowie. Right. So that's originally what the character was meant to be, but they lost the rights to use Bowie's music. Oh. So they had kind of—they were in talks. They were going to do it, and then Bowie at the time was intending to make a similar film. Of course. So then they had to turn Brian Slade into kind of a mishmash of what glam rock was like during that time. And Jonathan Reese Myers only had about 10 days to readjust to not playing like Bowie. And so he made kind of a mixture of Bowie, Mark Bolin, and Brian Eno to kind of create Brian, Brian Eno. Slade. Right. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can I can see it and that makes sense. And it's like, well, if you've already kind of gone to the lengths of designing the film to fit around that, so and the was, music and everything, and the music, yeah. So did what well, was was what happened with the was all that original music always going to be in the film, or is this? I think there were original songs because if that if they only had that amount of time, a lot of people were involved in the music. Of course, you know what I mean. So. Even though, because Jonathan Reese Myers and Ewan McGregor did sing some of the songs, some of the Jonathan Reese Myers songs were overdubbed by Tom York. Okay. Um, and like the Venus and Furs, the group that they had put together for the film, right. uh, Tom York's in it, Johnny Greenwood, Bernard Butler, Andy McCade, um, Craig McLoon, like a lot of it's like a super group that kind of came together to make that, who also wrote songs for the film. So right. they wouldn't re- have had time, right? Because I recognize some Tom York in the in the soundtrack. I think um, Haynes told uh, Tom York to ham it up. I mean, and yeah, they, said they had a great time. I mean, it's of the it's of the period. I mean, I would also, yeah, okay. Well, that that makes a lot more sense. I mean, to be fair, like the David Bowie estate and certainly like his his son. They're incredibly. I mean, his son's Duncan Duncan Jones. I think it is or Duncan James. I can't remember. He's the. He's a know, very actually. famous director. Oh. Um. He. They're very protective of the the David Bowie estate. You know, there was a more recent more recent entanglement with another production company over 
making a like a David Bowie biopic. So the, effectively, the biopic that came out it was a David Bowie biopic, but it was yeah. not endorsed by the family. Um, and as far as I'm aware, it was fucking terrible. Um, you were right, it's Duncan Jones. He directed Moon. Yeah, he did. Uh, he Ooh, did. We uh, worked with Jake. Yeah. Source code. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good he's he's that guy. He also did uh, he did Warcraft as well. Yeah, that I didn't movie, mention you know. that one. Yeah, for well, he came. He, he made that movie. Reasons. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think it's difficult to talk about Velvet Goldmine without talking about Bowie. Like of course. I mean, the title comes from a David Bowie song. Of course, it does. Um, so. But then that answers my primary question, which was, why is this not just about David Bowie? And it's kind of of... So, like, was... So, Ewan McGregor's character, right? Kurt mm-hmm. Wilde. Was he originally just going to be Iggy Pop? Um, I'm trying to find my notes. I wrote about it. Because, you know, there's songs by other bands. I mean, placebos in this ba- in this, in this film, if anyone's familiar with the... Uh, the group Placebo, um, they also play what effectively looks like uh, a, a T-Rex, uh, like, cover band, effectively. Yeah. So, like, you know, the lead singer of Placebo is playing a very kind of Mark Bolan-esque sort of uh, lead singer character as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess, like, that, that, that kind of levels a little bit of the confusion for me, and I think that's... Yeah, it kind of it feels it feels um, it feels odd. Certainly, when like if you're not able to have the license for the boy stuff, you do you do continue to call the film Velvet Goldmine, and it has very kind of distinctive boy esque traits all about it. So right, um, yeah, Kurt Wilde is basically Iggy Pop. Yeah, yeah. Because he is pretty much the spitting fucking image of Iggy Pop in the film. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much it. Um, played yeah. by Ewan McGregor. Um, but yeah, yeah. Sorry, I think we we kind of we were getting on we were getting on track. But yeah, that was one of my main concerns about the film in in general. But uh, yeah. yeah, well, Todd Haynes said that everything in Velvet Goldmine comes from you know something historic or from writings and imaginations of like seminal figures, musical artists, and. Um, a lot of the dialogue is taken from Oscar Wilde's writings. Okay. As well. I mean, they reference Oscar Wilde quite a bit. Yes. Well, um, it might not come as any surprise to anybody, but this is an incredibly gay film. Like, it's very yeah. gay. Um, it's a very good example of uh, queer cinema. Um, and you wouldn't expect anything less from the likes of Todd Haynes. Um, treasure. Who's an American film re- uh, film director, screenwriter, and producer? Um, so he came to public prominence um, with his short film Superstar, which was the Karen Carpenter story that he made in 1987. This wasn't his first short film, but he'd certainly made he'd made a handful of stuff. And basically, this film chronicled the life and death of Karen Carpenter using Barbie dolls as the actors, and he plays all the voices as well. Um, I was trying to find that. That sounds amazing. Yes. So, it, I mean, it, it came into the, the public attention, but also it kind of it falls into a little bit of controversy for, for you know, fairly obvious reasons. Um, but that kind of gets him his, his start. Now, we've obviously spoken about Greg Araki, and we'll talk a little bit more about queer cinema and stuff like that, but... Todd Haynes is certainly seemed to be one of the forerunners within the new queer cinema movement, which we talked about when we were talking about Doom Generation a few episodes back. Um, and certainly, and I think bus. yes, and short bus. Um, so obviously, he's part of a collection of other filmmakers um, that kind of get classified under this movement, so to speak, from say like the you know the nineties and obviously into the two thousands. Um, but yeah, I can, I can, I can jump off, and we can just go into his some of his films and things. A lot of these will be very popular choices as well. But he also doesn't have a very extensive filmography either. Um, so They're all hits, pretty much, in my book. I don't think he's made a bad film, um, which is which is fine. Um, That's great. Good for him. Yeah. So it starts off in '91 with Poison. Uh, follows that up with Safe in 1995. Velvet Goldmine then comes out in 1998. 
And then after that, we have Far From Heaven, 2002. I'm Not There from 2007, which is the Bob Dylan biopic. Uh, Carol from 2015. Wonderstruck from 2017. Dark Waters from 2019. The Velvet Underground in 2021. And then very recently released May, December on Netflix. And that was in 2023. May, December has a penis in it. And it is is a prosthetic. I am floored. I am flabbergasted. I am furious. You're disappointed. I am madly disappointed in this. Yeah. I don't understand why, but here we are. Here we are. It's ridiculous. Yeah, she's fuming. I'm mad. I was so excited. That movie is very good if, if you guys haven't seen it yet. I got, I think we got Netflix... I don't know if we had Netflix left over. We keep canceling it, but... We had leftover Netflix from watching The Killer. Oh, right. Yeah. So we tried to watch some uh, Scott Pilgrim, but we couldn't really get into it that hard. I'd rather just watch the Edgar Wright Scott Pilgrim myself. I mean, personally, I mean, I would watch it. We just didn't really get into it like, but at yeah, that point But yeah, May-December has a fake penis in it, and it is... It's ridiculous. I'm very upset. Um, but I did watch Safe yesterday, and that was really good. Yeah, no, he's he's made some he's made some cracking films. If you've not seen Carol, Carol's definitely oh, one to watch. Absolutely. It's it's om- it's just like petering out of the Christmas season, but yeah. the holiday season, but that's a hot lesbian Christmas movie. Yeah. Yeah. Right? You'll find like, you know, thematically in his films, like certainly the he'll he'll have like uh, a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of gay content in his films. Like he's also a gay man himself, so um yeah, so he he had said that the thing about Velvet Goldmine is he's like, oh, these things, uh, these kind of questions about who's gay and who's straight are meaningless. I loved that period and found it to be radical and continue to feel that way about it because there were no secure identity politics. That's probably why it wasn't a film that was as embraced by the gay community as I would have hoped. Uh, there wasn't a clear-cut evocation of gay identity in Velvet Goldmine. Um, and he said that glam rock, blurred sexual orientations, masculinity, femininity, English music and American music, dandy music, uh, dandy music hall influences of English culture and the hard rock world of American post-hippie music. Yeah, I guess like that also comes as a bit of a double-edged sword as well, just because of the the issues I feel come surrounding, not just like glam rock in general, but like the 70s as a period for... Um, I guess I guess one of the bigger things is like you know Gary Glitter and obviously the the allegations surrounding the the late David Bowie. Um, so I feel like those things can't be like they can't be overlooked when you talk about the seventies as a musical period as well. So Gary Glitter was a monster. Yes, mm-hmm. that's what I mean. Is that it? It can only it only goes so far. David Bowie did end up seeing the film and he said when i saw the film i thought the best thing about it were the gay scenes they were the only successful part of the film frankly <laughs> okay he liked he liked the gay scenes and so did i yeah yeah there's i like you know i that's something that i like about it when you know they're they're interviewing you have the guy from the bbc interviewing people on the streets and yeah. saying oh are you bisexual and he goes yeah i like men and like women it's all the same thing and i'm like yeah whatever yeah i mean i would i would say there's some really nice stylistic flourishes there's some there's some shots in the film that remind me of like mazel's brothers like documentary um like footage like that sort of thing like straight out of no well they didn't do sympathy for the devil that was that was goddard but they did do um like gimme shelter and stuff like that and that kind of reminded me of those sorts of uh those like interview vignettes from seventies talking to bands and stuff in press conferences and things, which yeah. I think this film captures like relatively quite well. If there's anything anything you can say that's that's like flawless about the film, it is its, its sense of design, its fashion. It does a very good job of categorizing, the, I guess, the evolution and the progression of this musical movement. Um, and it feels very authentic in that sense. Certainly, coming from, I guess, I guess coming from a filmmaker who obviously did not grow up in the UK. Um, I think it has a very good sense of like the pulse 
of uh, that musical movement. Even to say, like, I would even compare it to like Quadrophenia, which was obviously about the, uh, it was more about the mods than the than the rockers and the glam rockers. So, um, yeah, I would say it had a has a very good has a very good sense of like the zeitgeist of the time. So. Yeah, he said he wanted to make a film that that rekindled the spirit of the late 1960s and early 70s filmmaking, uh, like the culture that produced glam rock and uh, like the hybrid of various unexpected influences that crossed each other, um, like the underworld mixing with the avant-garde rock and roll gay cultures and then producing certain kinds of art and music. Yeah. Yeah, I think it I think it does a really good job of that. And certainly like myself, um, you know, I like, I like, I like T-Rex. I like Slade. Yeah. Um, certainly, you know, as much as it's not very fashionable to to say that you like David Bowie, I do feel like his catalog, his catalog of music is, is kind of unparalleled to quite a number of uh, his respective kind of artists as well. So, you know. Um, you just have to dance in secret. Yeah, kind of. Oh, it's like people who say... Like Dance in Secret to Michael yeah. Jackson. Yeah, it's like Dancing in Secret to Michael Jackson. I mean, we... we Yeah, right, well, <laughs> you've got that Michael Jackson video game for the Wii. It's a really um, fun video game. You can't deny the fact that they made fantastic music. It's just a shame that, like... Well, it's not really a shame. It's just kind of like, you know... It's a shame for the get, people involved. Yeah, it's a shame for the people involved. And it's like, it's kind of... It's, it's more tragic than, yeah. you know, than anything else. Um... And certainly, there's no as well as much as I didn't. Well, no, there is Gla- there is Gary Glitter music in the film, but his 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 crimes didn't come to come to light until I think the two thousands or something like that. But he's like he's like a bona fide monster. It's a shame that like obviously his film, you know, his music is kind of still situated in films. And certainly one of one of the biggest ones, obviously, is the Full Monty, and you barely see that film on TV anymore. So that movie doesn't have a penis in it. No, how ironic. I know. Yeah, it's weird. Womp, womp. Let's just jump in. Let's just jump in with the fact that this starts off like like the Fellowship of the Ring with an ethereal Kate Blanchett-esque voice narrating uh, the beginning of the film. Or like Citizen Kane. There you go. Yeah. Bada boom. Well, I think I've only seen this film a couple of times. This was my first time watching it in quite a number of years and then you kind of you people were referencing the fact that it's kind of like structured like citizen kane and i would have to agree with them in some sort of way even to the point where i'm like it it becomes more of like a rock parody version of citizen kane um yeah which i thought was thought (laughs) was kind of yeah it's kind of it's interesting that like if you were going to pick a structure for anything because you know this is kind of like a flippity floppity, timey wimey sort of story um, that's told from a separate narrator. Who then we start to see a different perspective, and then we obviously get to see from the perspective of of Jonathan Rhys Myers, and then from Iggy Pop, and and Ewan McGregor, and then obviously we have Christian Bale, who's following the story, which is also from his past, but then in the modern day, he's <laughs> retracking these stories so that he can track down what happened to the elusive Brian Slade after the the hoax assassination attempt. You get Tony Collette's point of view as well. But yes. essentially, it's Christian Bale's character story. Like going back through his past and the people who kind of helped him discover who he was, his sexual identity and things like that, and just kind of coming, I don't know, like rediscovering himself pretty through much, his yeah, past. Pretty much. It's like... But through many different perspectives... Back and forth in time, whether some things are real or not, unsure. I still don't know if he and Kurt had sex on a rooftop. I hope so. Covered in glitter. You never know. Yes. I do like that it tracks his emotional journey from beginning to end. And it starts with him, obviously, as as a younger person to then... You know, the strife that he had with his family from having to discover his own sexual identity and obviously living with very conservative parents to then, you know, becoming a fully fledged adult and then delving back into that into that world of, you know, of wonder and, you know, what what feels like it kind of characterized his coming of age, so to speak, Absolutely. which which I think is is 
Christian Bale is the strongest, probably the strongest performer in the film. Yeah. He is He's very so good. He's yes. strong that it's almost out of place. Yes. Because he's so great. And I'm not saying everyone, because I mean, you, everyone 20, else yeah. is great as well. It's just that yeah. he really shines in just how casually good he is. Yes. The only person I would maybe say falls a little bit flat for me is unfortunately Ewan McGregor. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, it's okay. the American accent. It's the accent. The accent it's completely, the accent. completely pulls you out of the whole thing. And you're like, but he's meant to be an Iggy Pop-like character. Why do we then have to continue being American with him if we're just kind of using this as like a reference? Now, I understand, obviously, later on in the story, they, you know, they have to fly out to the US. They go to, they go to Missouri. They go pick him up. He's there. And then, obviously, this is what you know, burgeons this uh, this blossoming uh, production and romantic relationship that he and Jonathan Reese Myers' character have um, at this point um, of the film. But yeah, I do wish, I do wish that they, they didn't make him do that accent. Yeah, it is uncomfortable. And I forgot when watching it again, I go, oh, crap, he's American. It's almost... It's completely unromantic. Well, the thing is, he's, his accent, <laughs> his accent gets gets better because I think he's he does some other things he does some other things obviously after this that have an American accent and I think I d- yeah well actually no I may take that back because he's also in the island as well and his accent's not great in the island but that's way later the next that's film so he does the next film he does after this is Phantom Menace oh well I mean it doesn't fucking matter I know he doesn't have a, like at that point no. yeah I know he doesn't have a yeah because he, he yeah he, he could fucking put any accent on in that movie everyone was gonna love him doing doing whatever he was gonna do his Obi-Wan hello there hello hello I see you I see you. <laughs> <laughs> oh it's perfect <laughs> not the younglings <laughs> I hate them <laughs> that movie. Aiden Christensen never takes his penis out. In what, any in the of the Star, Star Wars, Wars movies. <laughs> <laughs> I could watch Revenge of the Sith. Really, I mean, I think that, oh. that movie's really fucking good. I know it's like it's more like guilty pleasure at this point, but Anakin, holy fucking shit! You're breaking my heart. <laughs> I'll cry. I'll cry every time. <laughs> Amazing, but um, oh, yeah. right. Okay, we're talking. Yeah. We're about talking about Velvet, Velvet Goldmine. Goldmine. Sorry. So, but yeah, everyone plays a really like because Eddie Izzard turns up, and I'm like, oh my god, I fucking love Eddie Izzard. National Treasure, yeah, National Treasure. Tony Collette's amazing. National Treasure, and she also like she just brings the goods. She also has a bit of a dodgy accent. I love but... that. I love her because she's an Australian. Playing an American who's playing an English person who's like yes. putting on a fake English accent. Yes. That it's the worst. Mm-hmm. It's the worst accent. But I like that because that's part of her character. And then she'll slip in and out of her American and English accent. But she's so yeah. incredible at what she does. Yes. That you are like, okay, that's she's just so tuned into that character. Yes. That, yes. That's why it works so perfectly. Yeah. Ugh. Tony Collette. Yeah. Powerhouse. She's good. She's damn good. She's still not as um, good as Christian Bale in this movie. Sorry, but she's amazing. No, he's the runaway star of this film. Um, but yeah, I think it's like he's he's just incredibly useful from like a like a narrative, like a storytelling mechanic of being our eyes into like this world. Because very rarely does the camera find itself on the stage with the actors. You know, it's always kind of seen from the audience point of view. Um, and then obviously when you're, you're taking into the, you know, into the back rooms, into the, into the, you know, the, the, the levels of depravity and the androgyny and the sexuality and things that are going on. Cause there's a lot of orgies, you know? Absolutely. There's a lot of orgies. Um, Not yeah. enough maybe, but I'll allow it. I don't know how many more orgies the film needed, but, um, at like almost two hours, 10 minutes, I don't know if I needed another one. If it would improve, it's just the under film. two hours. It's two hours long. Yeah, it's, it's 118 like... minutes. Okay, well, it's two hours long. Yeah. So another 10 minutes of orgies would have been acceptable. Yeah. That's all. But uh, for the most part, 
you know, we're seeing the development and the evolution of the Brian Slade character. And effectively, it, it's tracking the same way as, obviously, what what you saw with, with David Bowie, who obviously, you know, started his career as, I think it was David, maybe David James, or is it David Jones? I'm not 100% sure, I can't really remember. Um, and then obviously he develops into the David Bowie persona, and then obviously David Bowie becomes all sorts of very different personas over the course of his musical career. Um, so, you know, you'll, you you kind of get to see smidgens of that, because obviously that was what was inherent within the within the original script and what they were obviously trying to trying to go for. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think if you just remove the fact that, you know, they all have different names and you just pretend that they are they are who they're kind of pretending to be. Um, yeah, then I think I think the film is far more interesting, personally. It doesn't bother me. Yeah, I guess not. I think it's fine. A lot of, like the original music. Cause, I like, think it would be harder to do that because then everyone's going to expect a pitch perfect portrayal. But you could have a little bit more fun if you're Brian Slade rather than David Bowie. You can have a little bit more I fun guess. with it and make it your own thing. Um, you know, even though they all take from the characters, they're they're in in what's what my word? What's my word? It's not intimidating. In imitating, impersonating, <laughs> imitating. Yeah, it's not even early in the day, and I can't. I know. Think of words. it is late in the afternoon. Yep. But Whoops. um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like um, you know, because again, like you answered all those questions and stuff for me. The comparisons are because there's plenty of. There's plenty of well-documented material out there tracking tracking moments of this of this artist and of of his life and of his musical ability and things like that. Like there's been countless documentaries and stuff on the man up until this point as well. So yeah, I kind of yeah, I find it difficult to separate the Brian Slade from the boy because it feels so intrinsically linked and influenced by that um i know that i would be very angry if my favorite pop star was shot down at the very beginning of a of a rock show crazy rather than the end i thought that was quite selfish especially because it's a hoax yeah he just got on stage and then he gets shot ridiculous and you paid for that ticket you paid for that ticket um hmm Weird. Reminds me of the time in 2004 when I bought tickets to go see David Bowie, the real David Bowie in Miami, and the show was canceled because a lighting technician fell and died. Oh, wow. And they canceled the show. I guess they'd worked together for a long time, and he was very sad that, you know, he would have to sing and perform on stage where someone had just perished. Mm. So fair enough. But then David Bowie died, and I never got to see him. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a shame. That's yeah. a shame. But shame yes. that the guy died as well. But talking about performing. <laughs> Do we, sh- shall we? I don't know. I kind of jumped right into the penis scene. I don't know about you. <laughs> in my notes, because it's only about half an hour in. Where are I mean, you at? I mean, I'm. I'm. I've kind it? of said. Everything. Let's do it. Really? Let's do it. The only thing I didn't really speak about was that Christian Bale has like a kind of Sheffield accent that goes on in the movie. And I was trying to think of like, because he's relatively quite flawless in the film, I think. I don't think he puts a step wrong. But then I was like, what's an accent that I didn't like of his? And it might have been his Batman. Oh, yeah. It's not his accent you didn't like. It was the, 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 Batman voice. It was like he's he's like his everything's pressed up against his and he's like he's got like you know when you put on like um like a scuba mask and it like stretches out your lips like you've had <laughs> you've had that and he just like and it's just it just doesn't sound good. At least like they fixed that with the other movies where it's just like he's a multimillionaire, he just has a voice changer. You know, it's like I mean, that just, makes sense. Just watch the first series of the trip with Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon and then they do the Batman and the the um 
my gosh. Well, Bane? Bane. What's wrong with me? The Bane voice. Yeah. Back and forth. Okay. And that's, it's perfect because it is very difficult to understand. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it. I can't. I can't. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, she just put her mouth up to the microphone and like she was going to, yeah. Uh, I'm not going <laughs> to do it. It's weird. It's going to sound weird. Yeah, let's get into this penis scene because, um, this is yeah. a great scene. Um, Love, 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 love it. And I love the story behind it. So this scene comes in at 35 minutes and 28 seconds. Yeah. And it is classic Ewan McGregor, the star, you know, the shining star of our podcast for the most part. Yeah. Um, And so do you remember why they were doing a show together, right? Like it was kind of like an outdoor concert festival. So it's kind of like... This is one of his first, because this is... One of Brian Slade's yeah, first shows, so Brian, right? Yeah, Brian Slade, he's with the... This is before he meets Eddie Izzard, he becomes his new management and obviously signs him, signs him up with that record deal and whatever. Um, and this is kind of his formative years, I guess. His um, long hair, almost hippie phase. Kind of, yeah. This is just, like, this is like his, I don't know, his space oddity years. There's another... There's another album, I think, before Space Oddity. And I'm using David Bowie as a reference because it's plain as, plain as C. You can fucking... This is obviously what it's based on. Um, but yeah, it's a little bit more folksy. It's kind of got those twangs and stuff to it. But people are just like, this is fucking shit. Because this is like... I think this is like the end of the 60s. So there's still the mods and rockers thing going on. Um, so his music kind of falls somewhere in between. Um, but yeah, he's booed off the stage and then obviously Kurt Wilde, who's Ewan McGregor, who's obviously Iggy Pop and it's the Stooges, come on and kind of do their new punk thing. And his isn't go, his show's not going too well either. I don't think the audience particularly likes, their band was called The Rats. The rats, yes. Um, yeah. Well, he's. If anyone's familiar with any footage of like Iggy Pop on his stage, he's just wearing super tight, usually like leather or patent trousers. I remember one show, like a late show and stuff. I remember seeing him on. His trousers were like uh, see through. <laughs> he wasn't wearing any underwear. Awesome. That's all you could see with his deck. Um, and he's yeah. wearing like a seat. He's basically, yeah. But, so, but basically, I've got to get you to watch The Greasy Strangler. Right, okay. Just throwing down a Greasy Strangler reference with okay. the see-through trousers. But yeah, obviously what, what he's doing, he's doing, Ewan's doing prime Iggy Pop kind of mannerisms and stuff. Totally topless. He's covered himself in like oil and uh, gold glitter and he uses the glitter as he's like a uh, f- fake masturbating and just much, tossing yeah. glitter yeah everywhere he's jumping around he has his hand down the back of his pants big fuck you energy because oh yeah and he's, he's flipping yeah. off the audience the whole time yeah he's he's reacting to the the energy of the audience and this scene itself i mean it's seen as like a big fuck you but yeah he takes off his <laughs> he takes off his trousers and yes. he kind of bends down and he shows them his asshole yeah <laughs> he does and he's just Touching from touching behind, his touching asshole. his asshole and his yeah. balls. His bare and... asshole. And he's like, obviously his ball, because gravity exists. Yes. Uh, his balls and his dick start falling down between his legs. And then... He just, like, jumps up and swings around. And, yeah. And he's not, like, helicoptering or anything. But he's just no. flipping that bad boy up and down, just, dancing and yeah. jumping up and down. He's there in all his glory. Let's kind of put it that way. For sure. And the audience fucking hate it. They absolutely <laughs> hate it. <laughs> he's just standing there with his cock out, like, giving everyone the finger. It's yeah. amazing. It's really fun. But there's... This, this, film, is, this film is two hours long. But it's very much an audio-visual experience. So even during, effectively, what is Brian's first meeting of Kurt, there's the story is being told from the old management that Christian Bale has met in the hospital, and he's basically talking about Kurt's like history. 
in, intercut during this section is um the is a young Kurt getting taken to a mental hospital for electroshock therapy, supposedly Ugh. according to the narrator, for servicing his brother. Yeah. So you're kind of like, oh, this is kind of fucked up, and he's been doing things with his older brother, and it's intercut in such a way that, like, when he goes to get shocked, a Molotov cocktail <laughs> hits the hits the stage, and I think one of the last shots of him, and I think it's a shot that recurs, is him basically covered in like soot because obviously it was a fire that was that was uh, obviously engulfing the stage at that point. Um, but during, you know, during the course of this, there's, yeah, there's just a lot going on in this one moment. You know, he does, he does put his trousers back on and, and, uh, they continue, he continues to perform as, uh, as normal as they could during the circumstances. So, so, uh, there was an interview and, um, uh, Ewan McGregor was asked how far he thought he might go in the Kurt Wilde role, you know, cause he is portraying a version of Iggy Pop. And he said, he always had his cock out. He is very fond of his penis, I think. Yes. I'm rather fond of mine, too. It made sense to me that he'd always be whipping it out. There's only 400 extras there when I did it. Todd had written in the script that Kurt turns around and moons the audience. I'd seen Iggy Pop do this thing where he stood stock still, staring at the audience with his hands down the front of his trousers. And then he started to jig about, and his trousers fell down as he was dancing. He goes, I thought I'd do that, but then I ended up pulling my willy out and sticking my head between my knees. I had no idea that I, that, that was going to happen, and the camera crew certainly didn't. I'll never forget their faces after the first time. Wow. I mean, he's he's playing he's playing the character, or at least the representation of, of that character to the best of his ability, because I think, yeah. To me, that's just that's just Iggy Pop behavior. Yeah. You know, that's completely Iggy Pop behavior, so. Yeah, I mean, he said that he kind of got really into that rock star persona. So, you know, he just really went with it. Did his research, took his penis out. He watched Iggy Iggy Pop on stage and he was like, you know what, I'm just going to do that. Yeah. (laughs) It's as simple as that. Acting. Acting. (laughs) Um. There's another, I, I'll just mention it as we're, we'll go into the rest of it, but yeah. there's another penis scene, but it's not, I thank goodness for you and McGregor, but. Yeah, it doesn't bear mentioning for the most part. I'm going to mention it anyway. It's yeah. about 50 minutes, almost 51 minutes. Um, it's after the New Year's scene where Tony Collette's character, Mandy, kind of agrees to marry uh, Brian Slade. Yeah. And they have, it's kind of intercut back and forth between the New Year's party where they're hanging out and then he's yeah. singing to her under some trees. And it's this musical montage, but there's a sexy musical montage with a fireplace and just bodies and skin and yeah. lots of Tony Collette nudity. Not a lot of Jonathan Reese Myers, but there's a flash no. in there somewhere of a of his penis. But yeah, it's so brief though. It's just yeah, it's but not. We haven't done any other Jonathan Reese Myers movies, but he also is kind of almost a Ewan McGregor level nudity superstar, in my opinion, because there's at least three other movies that I know of where he gets naked. So he just doesn't really do it for this movie. Okay. But you know, I thought I'd mention it because we will eventually talk about it. Definitely, yeah, it's more. definitely probably worth it. I I wrote down that one of my favorite parts is this really long close-up kiss between Ewan McGregor and Jonathan Rhys Meyers. It lasts quite some time. It does, yes. Big it fan. Um, and glittery rooftop sex with Ewan McGregor and Christian Bale. Loved that as well. Yeah, the the the, the UFO comes over. Yeah, and, and just drops glitter all over them. Yeah, hot. And, yeah, and basically, yeah, glam glam rock comes to a close. Effectively. Glam rock comes. Um, in an interview with E! Magazine, I have more things that Ewan McGregor said. Cool. He said, being naked is something that happens at either the end of the day for me, and if you're lucky, somewhere in the middle as well. And I don't understand why it's an issue. I don't take my clothes off in movies because I want to flash my body around. I take my clothes off for movies because I'm an actor. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. That's what um, he said. Yeah, no, that's fine. That's all right. I'm, um, gl- I'm glad he's like open and honest and stuff absolutely. about it. Absolutely. Um, but it's yeah, yeah. 
It's a slippery slope when it's just like, well, I'm an actor, and you just start taking your clothes off, and people are like, whoa, whoa hold on, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? Obi-Wan, please. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I get it. I get it. Yeah, I don't think that he would be fond of all the prosthetic penises that are out there. I don't think he would at all. I mean, I don't know if he'll he'll take on those sorts of opportunities now. Um to get naked. Yeah, probably not. Probably like because he doesn't he doesn't probably need to now. Um I think but also, the last like, one. I'm trying to think of the last one that I know of where well, he got his penis the, out, and it was like 13 years ago. But here's the thing. So it's been a while. That quality of material is also not hitting his desk anymore, probably. And that's not to say that he's not getting offered good roles. I just don't think he's getting the material. He's got not getting the nude. No, roles. I think I think as time goes on. Um, yeah, we've spoke about it before. Um, I think media itself is getting a little bit more prudish in one more, you know, one way or another. Like, that's how I kind of feel about it. It's getting a little prudish. It's an interesting push and pull between the prudishness uh, of media and then just this other extreme push for the opposite. Yeah. And it's a really, really weird time yes. right now because we are getting a lot of... I mean, the movies that have been coming out recently, obviously, the movie we just did before this one was Saltburn. Yeah. And you have Barry Keoghan, who gets naked, and he is a naked man in this film, and there's... And that's a good example. R- r- right. Yeah. Poor things as well. Um, there's... It's another push for more kind of casual nudity that you would see. Um, I mean, that movie's insane, but... Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot more of that stuff coming out recently you have like you have it you have it on that end of the extreme but then you also have these weird like fakey things right and like stuff that's maybe not meant to be gross out but it feels a bit gross out any type of hbo show or or like euphoria stuff like that where you just have a guy that gets penis out just let the guy take his penis out yeah because you can find actors that'll do it. I feel like a lot of times it's just offered to them. Like, hey, you don't have to do this. As in, also, I'm, I'm going off on a tangent. I'll be fast. But like in men as well, where uh, Roy Kinnear was going, he's like, yeah, I'll just take my penis out. No big deal. And then they're like, no, no, no. We're going to make some fancy pants for you. So you don't have to. And he's like, oh, okay. So apparently this was quite a tough shoot. Um, I don't know if it was like a budgetary thing, but uh, Ewan McGregor said they lost the whole lighting crew three weeks into the production. And he's like, I don't quite know why. Um, he's like, maybe they didn't like that we were filming a bunch of men fucking each other um, up the ass on a rooftop in King's Cross. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, it's a shame that I can't, I couldn't find the international cut of the film, uh, which is an extra five minutes it's 123 minutes yeah i wonder what would be that extra five minutes it's a little difficult to find this i know this film is it's not i don't know if it's streaming for free anywhere right now but you can rent it at least at the time of this recording but it's kind of a pain in the ass to find yeah if you want to purchase it i used to own it and then we had to go and find it again because i you I didn't sold, ha- sold a bunch yeah. of stuff because i moved out of the country it makes sense i had reasons yeah um but yeah also, I was wondering why recently, which I did some research, why we haven't seen Jonathan Reese Myers as much. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Because that's, he's a beautiful man, you know? And I've seen him in some kind of weird low budget uh, films that are streaming on like Tubi and stuff recently. The thing, the thing I remember him the most from was the Tudors. Of course. Yeah. Where he's just fucking. That made him a big, bright, like, shining star. The it Tudors did, was yeah. fun. Tudor, yeah. Tudors was a, a good show. Yeah. Yeah. I guess he had a lot of problems with alcohol, and he probably still does because he's oh, been arrested dear. a few times. He's been detained, mostly at airports. Um, okay. And he drunk drive crashed his car in 2020. He drunk drove. Drunk drove crashed. <laughs> he drunk drove crashed. Crashed his car while drunk droving. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And uh, well, that's a shame. Feel better soon, I <laughs> guess. Yeah. I hope he's okay. Mm-hmm. Seems like a like an okay person. 
Anyway, doesn't um, sound like he's okay. Sounds like he gets drunk at airports like and says some horrible and shit and just abuses yeah. flight staff. Yes, yeah, it sounds that fucking is, horrible. <laughs> that is his Christmas kink. Oh dear. Um, in terms of accolades, I think this film was nominated for quite a few things. It was nominated for best costume design at the Academy yeah. Awards, um, and it won best costume design at the BAFTAs. Obviously. Yeah, it makes sense. Sequins. Yeah, you can't go wrong with a bit of glitter in sequins. Um, There's one glitter you can go wrong with. Oh, yeah. Gary. The GG. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, what a monster. Ugh. Yeah. So is there anything else you want to add before we jump into the ratings? No. Wow. Great. Let's go. Let's go. Um, Let's fucking go. So in terms of, I'll go first, uh, visibility and context. I gave it a four and a half. Okay. Why are you docking it a half The star? only reason I gave it less is because I wanted more. And I thought it should be there more. Oh, because you're greedy. I am well, greedy. Here's the thing. I just gave it five because you don't get any, you don't get, you, they don't come any better than this, to be honest. It's hard when you have things like, let's say, Shame, which is a top, Saltburn, which is a top uh, rating for me. And then you have this one, which is great. But Why you do don't you never get... say Bad Lieutenant? Because it's also not long enough. It's also not there long enough, and he's crying. <laughs> so fucking good. It's it is amazing. Yeah. It is a really good one. You can maybe put that up there, but I don't have you don't have the the screen time. No, that you want. Yeah, I guess so. Or or having it multiple times. Yeah, you know what I mean. Because there are multiple times in this film where these men are naked, and you don't do it again. And you could have. Yeah. And it wouldn't have been gratuitous at all. It would have made sense, especially the amount of times you have breasts in this film. True. And butts. Breasts and butts. I mean, he does, yeah, he does snort coke off a a black guy's arse. Hell yeah. As well, so. I wish we would have seen more of that guy. Yeah. I wish he would have gotten up. Yeah, well, he had he had like he? a he had like a blonde afro as well. It was weird. A beautiful, beautiful butt, a beautiful it was body. Weird, yeah. I wanted to see. I wanted to see more. <laughs> so yeah, I'm greedy. Four and a half. Okay, well, I gave it five. Great. So, yeah, <laughs> I won't be. Yeah, I won't be so favorable towards the film. But yeah, you might not be. That, um, yeah. I I gave the film four, and it's maybe more nostalgia than anything else, and it's more because I think it's important. It's an important film, and it is fun. It's too long. It is a little too long. It's too long, but yeah. it is fun. It is sequiny. It is it's bright for the most part, and everyone is doing their best. And I think it's very fun. And just the fact that Ewan McGregor puts his head between his knees and shows everyone his booty hole, and it's a it's a fun, it's a good movie. Four. Yeah, I think it's a very important film for the queer cinema movement. Um, I just, yeah, I just, I feel like. It is a little too long. There's some slow bits in it. I do love the stylistic flourishes. I have issues with just like the the comparisons to Bowie because it's obviously meant to be a story about Bowie. Um, but th- that doesn't detract too much. But yeah, I would have gave it a four. It's probably closer to a three and a half. But I'm kind of I haven't rated it officially yet, so it might it might go towards more of a four. I'm a little bit more forgiving of it because of. There's a lot more stuff in it that I like than I dislike. Yeah. So there is that. But Todd Haynes has better films in his filmography than this one, I feel. He does. But but it's so comforting seeing these these men that over so many years that we've we've come so to be so familiar with and just seeing them as cute, fresh faced little boys with their cute little butts and having fun. And I think Jonathan Reese Myers was like 19 when they filmed this movie. Wow. Christian Bale is like 23 or 24. Um, you know, they're all young at the, kind of at the start of their careers and everyone's, oh, Tony Collette. So, I guess like, so yeah, good. varying. Cause yeah, Ewan McGregor's already taken off at this point. Like this is, he's, he was on, yeah. He oh, was, he was on shooting a, for the stars after train spotting. Yeah. So he, he was, he was doing the things he wanted. Cause he already, he was already getting the, he was already going to get the big bucks anyway. No, I mean, obviously Christian Pale. He's been acting since he was born. <laughs> so it doesn't really, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, no, I do. I do like that. Um, but the thing is, is like, I think the film's important as well because it's one of the most accessible films of queer cinema, I feel like. I feel like um, 
you can feel a little bit intimidated by examples, like specific examples of like queer cinema where you're not able to kind of, I guess, just, just find that inroad so that you can, you can relate to it and kind of be engaged in the story and stuff like that. Um, so we, at least with this, I feel like it's, it's relatively quite well grounded so you can, you can just access it quite, quite easily. I think it's, I wish that maybe people were more, I mean, it's another reason we do this podcast. We're more accepting yeah. of male nudity in cinema, because I think that this film might be quite important just of the this story that it's telling kind of like acceptance of yourself and, and kind of go, going back through your past and, and, and rediscovering like who you are would be nice for, for people to see like young people who maybe are, are in that kind of same state figuring who out who you are. Yeah. And I think that sometimes discovering that and having like the nudity in it maybe isn't as it maybe might not make it as accessible as it could have been. Yeah, I think this is the one this is one of the few kind of saving graces of, you know, because we've covered we covered Doom Generation, we covered Short Bus. I don't think they are particularly accessible. Doom Generation for for the longest time was this completely shredded and mutilated cut that just kind of existed on VHS and no yeah, one was ever passed able to around see it. from dorm room to dorm room. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like, Oh, here's this dirty little secret. And it's, it's this, this, this product. And it's, it has a lot more to say about, about America and about gay culture and heterosexual culture and all these sorts of things that I think people just kind of overlook and they kind of just take everything on face value. And certainly, obviously, Short Bus. Short Bus is a quite extreme example, but it's one of the most sex-positive films that I think has ever been made. So, you know, the accessibility of Velvet Goldmine is that it has this, this veneer of, like, we're focusing on music, rock, glam rock, the period, this culture, um, you know, the androgyny, like, things that certainly me from being in the UK is something I can personally relate to because like none of that stuff ever bothered me and I was into that music ever since I was a child so and certainly you know this idea of like sexual exploration and uh, finding yourself a coming of age concept that sort of thing so for me because of the veneer that Velvet Goldmine has inherently within its core is obviously very very strong themes of like coming of age and discovering yourself and uh, discovering your own sexuality and like that fluidity within gender and all that sort of thing, I think is incredibly important. I think is a very good example of kind of a staple of the queer cinema movement. So that opens the door for you to watch more films from that movement. And yeah. I think Todd Haynes is just a good filmmaker because Carol is also a film about, you know, about, uh, about two two gay women who find themselves and that's a very popular film and people can access that and they can see it and it's another thing that you know you're able to open the doors to those kind of themes and those ideas so that's kind of how i see the the importance of this film in particular so yeah and this one this one has definitely gained a cult following as it should um yeah. and I wish it was streaming more available, you know, more available to people to watch. Yeah, because I mean, if you movie. like, if you like this one, I'd be like, go see Hedwig, like go go yeah. watch that movie because they've got they've got very similar. Hedwig's probably a maybe a better film, but they've got very similar ideas going on it, and and they they're also made by by gay filmmakers, you know. So they're they're well, one. yeah. There's a, it's a really good one to kind of go through. So yeah, I think I think that that. You know, as much as I think there's some flaws in this film that we've kind of highlighted, I think it's still important for the uh, the progression of uh, slightly more, of, well, progression, the accessibility of more progressive forms of media and stories and filmmaking. So there you go. Yes. Excellent. Well, there we are. The new year. First one of the new year. Yes. Off to a good start. I hope. I liked it. I did like it. The only other thing I had was an issue was with the double Miramax logo. We got to see the Miramax logo twice. And this film, like, self-played. It's one of those DVDs. The minute you put it in, it just starts yeah. playing. So we got to see the Miramax logo twice. Yeah, we need a better release. Odd. There was a Blu-ray release back in 2011, which is also hard to find. So yeah. we will uh, we'll be on the hunt for... Hopefully they'll do a better one. 
with yeah. all the features that we can access. How lovely. Coming to you from the Sombrero Bar. Yay. I have been Laura. Ryan. Happy New Year. Here we go. <laughs> Hooray. <laughs> Hooray. This is a New Year's movie. You know why? Because New Year's happens in the film. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Officially a New Year's film. Thank you, Todd Haynes. <laughs>